Truthphobia. If you want to understand why the woke are handily beating us for control of the West, and it's not even close, then you cannot do so without recognising their mastery of one of the most effective weapons of non-violent warfare there is. And that is words. The woke may be many things we do not like, but one thing we must give them credit for is their frankly genius in wielding words to control, restrict, coerce, shame, tarnish, shut down and destroy their enemies, while simultaneously elevating themselves to guardians of truth and righteousness. Why have words been so effective a weapon in their hands? Or should I say mouths and keyboards? Well, words are frameworks for perceiving and engaging with the world. They are how we fathom concepts, establish meaning and define our experience. They are how we think, talk, write, read and communicate in general. In short, they broadly set the limits of our thinking and experience. If you control words, therefore, you don't necessarily need to point a gun at the collective head of society to get people to conform to your preferences. As many, particularly those with an inclination to conform or to take things at face value, will simply comply. This is not to say words alone can do the job with everyone, and for this reason I think the gun too is coming, but even then words will lay the foundation for it. One specific way the woke are using words to frame the debate so that their opposition, aka us, lose the battle before we've even spoken a word, is through phobias. They have turned a medical diagnosis into something anyone who disagrees with their agenda is afflicted with. This includes such conditions as fatphobia, homophobia, transphobia and Islamophobia. But what is a phobia actually? Let's look at the official description from the NHS website. For those of you outside the UK, the NHS is our National Health Service. The reason I'm using this description is because dictionaries today are bowing to the whims of the woke and adjusting the language in real time to fit the woke narrative. So they, like Wikipedia, can only be counted on to recite the party line. So, the medical description is as follows. A phobia is an overwhelming and debilitating fear of an object, place, situation, feeling or animal. That's the headline. Now let's look at the symptoms. Symptoms may include unsteadiness, dizziness and lightheadedness, sweating, increased heart rate or palpitations, shortness of breath, trembling or shaking, an upset stomach. Now, does this describe the reality of everyday people who are accused of being phobic towards the fat, gay or other special groups in our society? Well, it's treated as if it does by the media, education system, entertainment industry and more, because they all use this medical terminology. But rather than breaking down the overall concept of woke-created phobias, which is ridiculous to anyone with half a brain, an ounce of courage, or who isn't poisoned by the cancer of wokeism, yeah, I can throw around a medical diagnosis too. Let's instead zoom in on the specific phobias in question. 
And let's see if labelling these as phobias is actually an attempt to cover up something that is both valid and in line with the laws of nature. Or put another way, maybe the truth is inconvenient. So, prepare to be offended and let's begin. Fat phobia. That this concept even exists reveals how intellectually and morally bankrupt our culture has become. But let's take a look at it. Firstly, the kind of fat we are talking about here is what BMI, or body mass index, would classify as obese. These are the kinds of fat people that are being promoted as being healthy, happy and beautiful by the woke. We exclude here the slightly overweight, as expecting everyone to look like a fitness instructor probably isn't realistic in a society where many sit at their desk and in a car or train for hours on end and need to juggle kids and other life commitments on a daily basis. The abundance of unhealthy and processed foods also doesn't help. Moreover, one could be fit and healthy and exercise regularly and still be classified as overweight by BMI. So it's not the be-all and end-all. But the woke are promoting genuinely fat and obese people as being normal and healthy and attacking anyone who says otherwise by calling them fatphobic. So if we run with that, is it a bad thing to be fatphobic? Well, let's look at the consequences of being fat. One, there is a much higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancer, stroke, high blood pressure, gallstones, osteoarthritis, liver disease, kidney disease, sleep apnea, and more. Two, it can lead to reduced fertility and to pregnancy complications. Three, it can lead to lower self-esteem and depression. Four, excluding the first three points, on a day-to-day -day basis, it leads to breathlessness, increased sweating, difficulty doing physical activity, feeling tired, and joint and back pain. If that list doesn't sound inspiring enough, consider the impact it has on the lives of others. That is, the fat person's family and friends who need to accommodate, support and even look after them because of the aforementioned afflictions they brought upon themselves. The consequences don't just hurt the person in question, but others too. And that is extremely selfish. What if, for example, a fat person's kids, spouse or parents need to bury them early because they refuse to look after themselves? How will that impact their lives? Or if they're in a country with a public healthcare system, like the UK, then they're taking up resources that could be allocated to others who did the right thing, but who, sadly, fate planned something else for. Then there is what it reveals about a person who willfully chooses to disregard their health and trash their body. For many people, consciously or otherwise, fat people come across as either lazy, gluttonous, lacking in discipline or having low self-respect. In short then, it's not a good thing to be fat and it's a terrible thing to be promoting it as a good thing. We're not talking here about some condition people were born with that they have no control over. If someone's got the time to eat a lot, spend hours on the internet, meet with friends or watch TV, then they've got time for exercise and eating healthier. They don't need to be perfect they just have to have some level of personal standards. If they want to live an unhealthy life, that is fine, of course. But trying to get people who are making the right, or at least better choices, than them to feel guilty 
or as if there is something pathologically wrong with them for pointing out the obvious, is a disgusting thing to do. Being fat and obese is not beautiful or healthy, and it will not make you happy. It is a one-way ticket to disease, misery, and death. Homophobia and transphobia. These are two phobias which, if you're accused of having, will result in your being labelled by the woke as Hitler's offspring or clone. No punishment is too severe for you. Though, if it is a phobia, shouldn't the woke be offering us treatment instead? Bad jokes aside, let's start by putting lesbians, gays, bisexuals and transgenders in their proper numerical context. According to a Gallup survey released this year, in The Empire of LGBT, aka America, 1% of the adult population identify as lesbian, 1.5% as gay, 4% as bisexual, 0.7% as transgender, and 0.3% as other, including queer. This makes for a total of 7.1% of Americans, which is double what it was 10 years ago at 3.5%. So we've seen quite a sharp increase. But what's really telling are the percentages of LGBT Americans today broken down by generation. So this is Americans alive today who were born in different eras. Only 0.8% of traditionalists, that is people born before 1946, 2.6% of baby boomers, those born between 1946 and 1964, and 4.2% of Gen X, those born between 1965 and 1980, identify as LGBT. You can see an interesting trend here from 0.8% to 4.2%. Looking, however, at my generation, millennials, that's those born between 1981 and 1996, and Gen Z, those born between 1997 and 2012, though this survey only asked those 18 and over, so the cutoff point was 2003, you'll find that 10.5% and 20.8% respectively identify as LGBT. Let those percentages sink in. Now, put your thinking cap on. Do you think America's gone within the space of, say, 70 to 90 years from 0.8% identifying as LGBT to 20.8% identifying as LGBT due to a natural change in biology? i.e. people are just being born spontaneously LGBT? Of course not. This has everything to do with culture, and more specifically, ideology. Every major institution of the West is indoctrinating impressionable and innocent children to think they are LGBT. This is why we have such high percentages for the current generation, which are completely out of whack with the historical norm. And when you realise that the indoctrination today is being turbocharged, then it really should be concerning what the percentage for Generation Alpha will be. That's those born from 2013 onwards. Why is all this a bad thing? For many reasons, and let's explore them. Firstly, if there's one defining feature of ideology, it is that it denies reality. Its proponents believe they can redesign the universe in their image and ignore the laws of nature or God. It doesn't matter if it's an economic ideology like communism, or a cultural one like wokeism. It always ends up delivering destruction and suffering instead. In this case, indoctrinating children to believe they are LGBT when they are actually not, 
will set them up for serious emotional, psychological, and even physical problems. In the last case, through puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and irreversible surgery. They will be torn between their indoctrination telling them they are LGBT and their body and instincts telling them otherwise. This can create internal dissonance, which can easily lead to anxiety, depression, confusion, rage, and general derangement. Our societies will pay a huge price when a large number of people are afflicted by this. A second reason these trends are bad is that, absent the at present pervasive LGBT indoctrination program, the percentage of the population that would naturally be LGBT is minuscule. They are a tiny exception, not the rule. And in a sane and healthy society, we would not be adjusting to the exception, the exception would be adjusting to us. Right now, however, we have a situation where the majority is being held hostage by a nasty and unhinged exception. This exception, or minority, is making huge demands of the majority, including that we use an ever-changing list of pronouns, that they use whatever public restroom they want, that they compete against the opposite sex in sports, that they be housed in prisons with the opposite sex, that their flag be displayed everywhere, that our children receive their ideological indoctrination, that we demolish the notion of the nuclear family, that we be incessantly exposed to their lifestyle in movies, TV shows, magazines, newspapers, advertisements, etc. That workplaces adjust their policies to accommodate or support their ideology. And even that we have sex with them, because you're biased if you won't sleep with a woman who happens to have something that rhymes with Venus. And the list goes on. Not only are these demands made of us, we are also threatened, abused, attacked, sued, fired, and soon may be arrested and imprisoned if we oppose any of it. All this while they openly attempt to remould the majority in their own depraved and confused image, beginning with our kids. I used to be tolerant of people's sexual preferences until I realised the slippery slope was not a fallacy as we're led to believe, but is real. You give a little leeway to the exception and they will use it to take more and more until you have nothing left. A third reason this LGBT agenda is undesirable is that in an age when Western men are becoming increasingly pacified, infantilised and feminised, the last thing we need is to be embracing LGBT values. They are the complete opposite of traditional masculine values. The oft-used saying in the right about strong men creating good times and weak men creating bad times is valid. And LGBT men, if you can call them that, are the weakest of the weak. Weak mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, morally and intellectually. Likewise, modern LGBT women are the opposite of feminine. They are angry, abrasive, spiteful, narcissistic, unattractive and often mentally ill. This is a perfect recipe for the end of civilization. A fourth reason why these developments are bad is that if an LGBT couple decide to have a biological child, it usually means that a third party mother or father will be required, who may be excluded from knowing or raising their child. The child likewise may never get to know their true mother or father. This is very unfair on the child who is put in this spot through the lifestyle choices of an LGBT couple. The best interests of the child should be put first, 
not the self-serving desires of adults. And with all else being equal, a decent household with a biological father and mother is the best setting for a child to be raised in. Moreover, it's only natural for bias to exist when parenting. You can't tell me that modern LGBT parents will not be biased in favour of LGBT and against heterosexuals, and that this won't consciously or unconsciously affect what camp they raise their child in. The truth is that we can all claim that we'll be accepting of whatever our kids choose to be. But if we had a binary choice consisting of two buttons, where if you press one, your kid is straight, and if you press the other, they are LGBT, every straight couple would press the straight button. It's not clear, however, that every LGBT couple would press it, especially not the current batch of LGBT foot soldiers. We owe our kids better than putting them at risk of this harmful indoctrination, and owe them better than recreating a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah to grow up and live in. Such a place is fit only for destruction. Islamophobia. The irony of Islam is that if the woke were honest, which they're incapable of being, then Islam would win first place in the homophobic and transphobic categories. I don't mean this as an indictment of Islam, certainly not in the context of this piece, but if you're not woke and you dislike Islam because they don't look favourably on gay and trans people, then you've got a strange set of priorities and are missing the point entirely. Islam is a religion and one could say civilization that is foreign to the West. It has been in conflict and competition with us for approximately 1,400 years, and there is nothing in recent times that suggests this is going to change. Also, if you've read the Quran, as I have, then you'd harbour no illusions that this is a clear us and them scenario. Us are the Muslims, and them are the non-Muslims, the camp we fit into. In the Quran, we are reminded of the fate of non-Muslims on literally every page, which is that they will suffer terrible torment in the hereafter. This is all good and well to keep Islamic societies united under one God and build a sense of solidarity, but not so good if you're a non-Muslim. We only need to look at what happens to non-Muslims in Muslim countries to understand the fate that will befall us in the here and now if they ever become a majority or even a sizable minority in the West. This is not to say Islam is bad in itself. Despite Islamic countries' internal sectarian conflicts and their animosity towards other religions, their values are superior to those of the woke. And I'd choose Islam over wokeism any day of the week. The issue is simply that it's not compatible with the West, as we are not Muslim. Allowing Muslims into Europe in droves, then, is the equivalent of letting an invading army into your country. Only in this case, that army isn't using guns, but demographics to win. And the war is a slow and cold one, not a bloody and hot one, at least not yet. But if you think everything will be okay because you have a Muslim friend, neighbour or co-worker, and they are cool, then you're missing the point here too. It's not about what individual Muslims do when they are a small minority in a non-Muslim country just trying to get ahead. Your Muslim friend could be an amazing person, but they have no say in what happens when their group becomes a sizable minority or a majority. At that point, the group takes on a life of its own. It becomes significantly greater and different than the sum of its individual parts. If I need to be explicit here, if Islam grows to meaningful enough numbers in the West, 
both due to higher fertility rates amongst Muslims and due to continued legal and illegal immigration from Muslim countries. It will mean conflict and war within our own borders until either one side dominates, converts or eradicates the other side. There is nothing controversial about this. It is in the history books and it happens in Muslim countries today. Now, there is a way to peacefully coexist with Muslims in the West long term. It doesn't need to be conflict, but it would mean the West converting to Islam. Of course, the establishment who allow unsustainable Muslim immigration to continue won't be upfront about this, but that's the only way it will work. To claim we can peacefully coexist long term, Muslim and non-Muslim united, is just delusional or kicking the live grenade down the road for future generations to deal with. I doubt any purple-haired woke Westerner who throws the Islamophobe accusation around has ever read the Quran or honestly looked at what happens in Muslim countries today. For if they did, they'd quickly discover a. how wicked, corrupt and lowly they are to Muslims, b. that they will burn in hell without respite, as repeated on every page of the Quran, and c. that they'd be the first to be eliminated if the West becomes Muslim. Something Phobia as ridiculous as labelling valid, evidence-backed concerns as phobias is, it won't stop the woke from introducing more phobias through time. What about black crime phobia and pedophobia? You might think these sound far-fetched, and maybe they are, but if I told you 20 years ago that fat phobia would be a thing, would you have believed it then? When it comes to crime, consider the mass riots, looting, arson, theft, assault and murder that Black Lives Matter Antifa and assorted thugs carried out throughout America in 2020. Were they not painted as heroes, oppressed freedom fighters and peaceful protesters? Were police and those who opposed them not labelled as the bad guys? Or what about what seems to be the now daily occurrence of black thugs assaulting Asians and whites in Democrat-run cities in America? Or their brazen raids of retail stores in woke states like California and New York, all with little or no repercussions? Meanwhile, in the UK, police are solving the lowest proportion of crimes in history, at just 6%. The powers that be want them focused on more important matters, like painting their cars the colour of the LGBT flag, dancing at woke marches, attending courses on how to be anti-racist, and of course, arresting people who tweet something true or funny that offends the woke. And when it comes to paedophobia, look out for the new trend of rebranding pedophiles and child molesters as minor attracted persons. More and more woke activists and academics will come out in support of this notion through time. They'll reframe these people as victims of a condition or compulsion they can't control, as people needing our sympathy and understanding, not our judgment and punishment. It's not their fault, they will argue, and will be labelled as intolerant for saying they should be behind bars, or worse. And yes, I am in favour of capital punishment for anyone who abuses children. All of this probably makes it sound like we are at war on multiple fronts, and to some extent we are. Things like healthy living, the traditional family, being heterosexual, having faith in God or country, being proud of one's heritage and culture, standing for law and order, and protecting children are under attack. I wish I could say this is a dream or moment of temporary madness, but it is not. It is the natural outcome of dismantling religion, embracing hyper-individualism, 
becoming prosperous and spoiled, and in the end, being corrupted by ideology. Despite this, we should know the war is winnable. The woke may have mastered the art of rhetoric, but as the saying goes, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. The truth has a way of cutting through the propaganda and noise. The right people hear it, understand it, and act on it. It might not be easy to fight the good fight, but it's worth it. The truth. The truth is that the woke call facts of life and existence that make them uncomfortable phobias. But it's they that have the biggest phobia of all. Deep inside, they are afraid they aren't good enough. That the world is too much for them. That reality will break them. Rather than seek to change and improve themselves, however, they seek to control and destroy others. To impose the way they think the universe should be on everyone else. The degree to which they are tyrannical, hysterical and extreme in their measures is the degree to which they are desperate to avoid facing what's inside themselves. And we have, through our secular god of tolerance and our lack of conviction as pleasure and comfort seekers, indulged them and given them the power and influence to turn their inner battle, fragility and egos into something that plagues our whole society. The final truth then is that whilst these people may be weak inside, we have also succumbed to weakness. Whilst they may be afraid, we have also surrendered to fear. We are therefore getting what we deserve. They are not to blame for all this, we are. It's time thus to step up and stop this madness and degeneracy and to call our enemies what they really are. Truth-phobic and yes, evil.